Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now and you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. And God, I pray that this morning, that as we look at this church in Galatia, this ancient community, that we would see that what they were dealing with, what they were wrestling with is as relevant with us today. Lord, how do we understand the law and how do we live it out in a way that points to others towards Jesus? And how do we ourselves, who are broken, who are fallen, how do we love you in a greater way? And I pray, Spirit, that you would be here, that you would bring these things to life. I ask, God, that you would help us, you would teach us, you would guide us in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and welcome. If you are visiting with us, we want to say welcome to Uptown Community Church. Uh, we are continuing on a series that we started off a few weeks ago, where that we are basically walking through the book of Galatians and kind of highlighting some things through it. Um, let's recap what we talked about last week so that we're all on the same page, and then we'll kind of jump in from there. Last week, we looked at this group of people called the Judaizers. Remember I said to you that the Judaizers were this group of Jewish people who loved Jesus but loved the law. And they said, follow Jesus and live out the law. And what we found was that they were going behind Paul to all these different churches in Corinth and Colossus and all these other places. They were saying, hey, love Jesus and let's get circumcised because that's how you fulfill the law. And Paul's like, whoa. And everyone's like, what? Right? So it's like, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. So remember we talked about the order of the gospel, right? The order of the gospel looks like this. Paul said that a person first places faith in Jesus. The Judaizers also say a person places faith in Jesus. But the second part, according to Paul, was then is justified before God. And the third part, according to Paul, is then immediately proceeds to keep God's law. So what Paul was saying is that first we accept Christ, then we are justified. This is a, this is a term of, it's a, like a legal term, right? Again, think of it like a court of law, that you come before the judge and you are like, you're guilty. You're just guilty, right? And you stand before the judge and the judge looks at you and, and pronounces you not guilty, not because you aren't guilty, but because somebody else, Jesus, deserves that he would, he would sit in your place and he would take your punishment. Well, the Judaizers kind of mixed it up. They said, listen, we want to place faith in Jesus and we love Jesus, but we also want to keep the law. And when you keep the law, this is what makes you justified. And so the issue was with Paul and these, this group of people where they, they loved Jesus, but they got the order wrong. And because they got the order wrong, they weren't really living out what the gospel, the true gospel was. We looked at the summary of, uh, of chapter two. And the first thing I said is that you wish you were a Galatian. I love this group of, of Christians because they love Jesus so much that whatever else they had to do to love Jesus, they were willing to do. And I said that today in our culture, it's what it seems like is that we are negotiating our faith to our comfort zones. What's the least amount that I have to do? What's the least amount of work that I have to do in order to love God? Like, what's the very least amount? And that's what I will do. But if God calls me outside of that or beyond my comfort zone, well, forget it, right? You wish you were a Galatian. This church is so in love with Jesus that when a group of people show up and say, okay, guys, don't care how old you are, we're going to circumcise a lot of you. And you're like, okay, all right, if this is what Jesus requires of me, this is what I will do. And again, I don't mean to be too comical, but this is exactly what took place. And the church in Galatia said yes to this. That's how much they love Jesus. Uh, the second thing we said is that not everyone is true. And we saw in chapter 2 how there was a group of people who were, uh, uh, the word that Paul uses was perverting the gospel twisting it, right? Taking elements of it and saying, you know what? This is good, but also this is good, right? And Paul was saying, you know what? 
those people got to be aware of, right? What we have to realize in church is that people come with different motives, different backgrounds, different, you know, whatever you want to put there. But we have to say, okay, how do we truly know, right? It's the fruit. It's the fruit that what, what Paul says in uh, chapter 2. And we finally said on the very final thing is our preferences aren't the gospel. We must make a distinction between what we prefer and what God wants. The good thing about uh, Christianity today is that there are uh, different ways of kind of um, uh, living that out. Like, so for example, um, as I've mentioned before, um, my mentor, Dr. Ron Kitt, who spoke here a few weeks back, he's an Anglican priest. And they have a great deal of liturgy and how they understand God. And I've been to an Anglican service and I've really enjoyed it. But I also realized too that I, I couldn't do this fully. Right? Like, I, like I don't, I'm not a liturgical guy. But my mentor and others find a great deal of meaning in that. And that's how they, that, that's how they go forward. It's like, okay, that's great. The other part of me, the Pentecostal part of me, uh, the part that scares some people about me is this charismatic piece of it, like of, of, of being open to the Holy Spirit and, and, and what that looks like, right? It's like, yeah, we have that as well too. So we have the liturgical and we have the Pentecostal or the charismatic. And we go, you know what? This is all the body of Christ. But what can never happen is a Pentecostal can't look at the Catholic and say, you got to do it this way. And the Catholic can't look at the Pentecostal and say, you can't do it this way. The conversations you can have are, let's, let's make sure we got Jesus right. Let's get that right, right? But let's not talk about methodology, right? Remember we talked about this last week? Methodology is, is how we do things. Theology is what we believe. And when you lock those two in place, you actually get a great deal of disservice because somebody who believes their methodology is as true as what they believe will beat anybody, hopefully not literally, uh, will say, you know, you're doing it wrong. It's, it's wrong this way because this is what I believe and this is how I, this is how I believe it. Like, okay, right? That's not how the gospel works. And the good news is, and the great news is, the best news is, is around the world today, we see the gospel going in different cultures, different races, different languages, and, and finding great growth there. And so what the Galatian church is, is wrestling with is something that we can also wrestle with today. Well, this morning, I just want to jump right into chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices or whatever else you would use to see scripture, or if you have chapter 3 memorized, please teach me how you did it because I don't know how to do it either. I just want to jump into chapter three because I got to go into the weeds a little bit here to kind of get to the end because Paul is going to kind of, he's going to chew on some pretty heavy topics before he gets to the conclusion where he wants to go. So Galatians chapter three is kind of broken up into three parts and we're going to take a look at those three parts. I'm going to pause at a couple of places. Now Galatians chapter three opens up and Paul shifts. And what I mean by shifts is up until this point in time, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has not mentioned the Holy Spirit yet. But in chapter 3, the very beginning of the chapter starts off like this. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So Paul now shifts. Okay, now this is kind of interesting here because Paul has not mentioned the Holy Spirit up to this point in time. He's mentioned the gospel, right, chapter 1. He's mentioned Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but he has not mentioned the Holy Spirit. But the language of the first part of chapter 3 is the assumption that the Spirit is a part of this whole thing right from the beginning. Look what he says, right? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? So now he's contrasting not just Jesus, not just the gospel now, but the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, why, Paul? We'll get to that in a second. 
So he's now saying that the spirit is what's necessary for you to understand what God wants for you. After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So what is he saying here? Remember what he says uh, a few times, he's going to say this actually again in Galatians a little further, is the spirit and the flesh, they fight, right? They fight. And, and Paul admits that in, in Romans chapter 7, right? Why do I do what I don't want to do? It's my favorite scripture in all the Bible because it's the, it's the one time where Paul finally seems human to me. Right? Because Paul is this large in life, like he is this gospel, he's out there, like, like uh, declaring Jesus to places. He, and ultimately, he's going to lose his life. But in Romans 7, Paul and I finally have an agreement. And the agreement is Paul's actually admitting something. And he's always admitted it, but it's very clear. He says, Why do I do what I don't want to do? Why can I not do what I want to do? And that, by the way, is all of us. Why, why can I not do what I, what, what I should do? Right? We know it's right. We know it's good. We know it's loving. We know what God wants of us. Why do we have such a hard time to do it? Well, Paul says, because it's sin living in me, in my flesh. Right? There's an infection, and you can't see it. You can't put it under a microscope. You can't diagnose it, but it's there. And even though we've accepted Christ, even though we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we still act in ways which are contrary to that. So this is why Paul's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is what started your spiritual journey, your faith journey. When you accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit was given to you. So now why do you think you need to leave the Holy Spirit and now follow the ways of the flesh? And so Paul starts off chapter 3 this way. And the reason he does so is because he needs to kind of bring the Galatians and do a bit of a history lesson, right? Because uh, look what verse 7 and 8 says. Understand then. That those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Now, why is this important? Because now Paul has taken this Gentile group who perhaps doesn't understand the law, right? This, the Old Testament part that we kind of have a hard time with. And he's saying to them, listen, what God has done in your little community he actually did, he started thousands of years beforehand to this little church called Galatia, uh, to, to a, this little group of people called the Jewish people by Abraham. So he's now connecting them to this. And the reason he's doing that is because the Judaizers are walking in saying, we are sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The patriarchs, right? These are three individuals by which the Jewish people always look back and say, these are who are very important to us. And Paul is saying, listen, Go back and take a look exactly what God said to Abraham. Because when you look at what God said to Abraham, it was a promise to Abraham, to his people, but it was also a promise for you. That God prophetically, he looked into the future and said, this church in Galatia, well, I'm going to promise something to Abraham, and I'm going to make sure this church in Galatia understands it. Now, this is kind of important because, you know, you ever sing that song, Father Abraham? Father Abraham, right? This is why Francois leads worship and not me, because that would be horrible. But the point of the whole idea of Father Abraham, right, is that, is that you know, that one line, and, and I am one of them and so are you, right? We are all sons and daughters of Abraham. It's the promise. Now, I want to point something out to you here real quick, okay? Um, let me show you verse 14 here. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now remember, 
we at Uptown Community Church, we try to understand the Bible in its completeness, right? We don't just look at the Gospels. We don't look at the letters. We don't look at the red words of Jesus. We look at the whole story because the whole story is a narrative that's important. And so we try to make sure that we don't set aside the Old Testament. We go, well, it's a lot of languages and cultures and names I can't quite pronounce. We say, okay, even though we have this kind of cultural barrier, we still want to understand it because God included it. Now, Abraham. Abraham, we meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. Now, the reason why this is important is because the first thing that God does in the Bible, okay, in Genesis chapter 11, is speak to this guy named Abraham and says, listen, I'm going to bless this entire planet through what I'm going to do through you. Now, remember the story of Genesis chapters 1 to 10. Up in this point in time, we've had the fall. We have creation 1 and 2. We have the fall in chapter 3, right? And then we have some stories, some, some brief stories about, um, about what, how, how humanity in their brokenness act. And we actually have... Spoiler, the book of Job is actually before Genesis chapter 10. That's a whole other conversation, and we can get to that another day. The point is, the first time that God speaks to a, in, in the Bible is a promise. It's not the law. Wouldn't it be cool if Adam and Eve, after being ejected from the garden, encounter the law, encounter Jesus? I'll say, okay, both of you, you're really messed up. You had one rule, you had one job. And you couldn't even get that right. So here's 613 now. And hopefully these are going to keep you where you need to be. Wouldn't that be fantastic? But instead, it's as if God wants to show human beings what they really are. Narcissistic kind of pleasure feeding kind of we want, our, we want what we want, right? We tend to devolve. I use that word very intentionally. Devolve to our basis desires. And so Paul is saying, listen, what's important, what you need to understand is Abraham the father of these Judaizers, well, the promise God made to him was for the Gentiles too. You are not not second-class Christians. You are not less than. Because up at this point in time, right, the Jews claimed salvation was through the Jewish people. And we looked last week, and that is true. But it's also for the Gentiles. Now, take a look at Abraham's blessing, but not through the Old Testament, but through the eyes of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, we have this great encounter, right? A centurion. Now, a couple of things need to kind of point out here real quick. And again, remember, at Uptown Community Church, we like to give historical context so that we're not taking uh, ourselves and saying this is what it means, but instead saying, okay, this is what it meant at least back then in the first century. A centurion would be a non-Jewish person. The Jewish people would not fight for the Romans, and the Romans did not want the Jewish people fighting for them. Why? They didn't trust them. This people who they were occupied by the Roman army was still uprising against the Romans. So the Romans, no Jewish person was in the Roman army. The second thing you need to understand is whoever this centurion is, he is most likely Italian, i.e. where the Romans kind of came from, or he is from a conquered nation in the Roman Empire. This Roman centurion comes to Jesus, and you know the story, right? He comes to this rabbi named Jesus, a Jewish person, and he says, Rabbi, his teacher, I have a servant, and that servant is going to die. Can you heal them? And Jesus is like, okay, well, let's go. And, like, and the centurion, what does he say? No, 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 no. Don't come with me. You don't need to come with me. I'm not worthy of that. If you speak the word here, it'll happen over there. Now look at Jesus' response. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Stop there for a second. Jesus just insulted everybody in the audience. They're all Jewish people. He says, 
just so you know, everyone, you know this Roman person, the person you hate, the person you hate who's occupying Israel, the person you want to uprise and eject, this individual has greater faith than any of you. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know what gnashing of teeth is, but it sounds really bad for your molars, right? Like, like, like this kind of like this motion, right? Whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's actually an emotion of just like, why? It's, it's an emotion of regret. And Jesus says, I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you know the law. But if you don't have faith like the centurion, when the time comes, and it is going to come, you will not be amongst those who are with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because that wasn't the point of the promise to Abraham. You have misinterpreted to make it a racial truth. But it's not racial. It's actually for everyone. Now, why is Paul doing this? Why is he trying to emphasize this, right? Because these poor Galatians who love Jesus so much are being told that they're not as good as a Jewish person. Which, by the way, is everybody in this room for as much as I know. Like, I'm not Jewish. I'm not. I'm not a child of Abraham. The promise that was made to Abraham was not for me. I grew up, I was born actually in a different part of the world. Not Canada even too. So it's like, wait a minute. Am I a second class Christian? Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's not what the gospel is. That's not what, what, Ab- what God was saying to Abraham. So now look, look at this now. In verse 18, look what he says. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Abraham wasn't given the law. Is that kind of funny? This guy who's so important, he's the guy that they talk about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know who's not in that, in, in, in that little list? Abraham, Moses, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was Abraham given? A promise. What was he not given? The law. That doesn't come to a couple hundred years later until a guy named Moses shows up. The first thing the Bible records, the first thing that God wants us to understand is he wants to give us a promise, not the law. This is really important. Paul is trying to emphasize. This is why I said to you, we have to go through the weeds here because Paul is trying to show something really important here. Abraham was given a promise and the promise was this, that God would one day redeem humanity. Not Jewish humanity, not male humanity, all of humanity. God would redeem all humanity. And that was the promise that he gave to Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through you. The blessing of God, the blessing that is, and it has to start with one person. And you can ask yourself, why not the Babylonians? Why not the Egyptians? I don't know. God chose this little nation called Israel, his choice. You get to heaven, you get to ask him. But all I know is this is who he chose. But it wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for everybody. And the Galatians need to understand that because if they don't understand that, then they can feel less than. You know, if you don't believe you're in a relationship with somebody, you try to earn that love, don't you? You know, okay, I'm going to just say it. When you start like in a, in like a, in a dating relationship, and some of you young adults are like, I wish. Um, don't worry, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, when you start in a dating relationship, you kind of put your best foot forward. You know, you try to, try to impress, you know, you smell a little bit better and look a little bit better, you know, and all that, right? But as you progress in your relationship, 
I don't want to say that the wheels come off the wagon. I just want to say you're a little more comfortable with each other. And then when it's in marriage, you know, you get further on in marriage. It's like you can both pretty much look like homeless people in a, in a, in a morning, and you're so in love with each other. Well, I, you know, as much as that's possible. You get the idea, right? The point is this. In a relationship, in the beginning of a, of, of a new relationship, you feel this idea of earning, right? It's kind of like, I, I, you know, I have to do that because I want the person to like me. But once you pass this, this, this line, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the I love you word. Uh, I don't know. But then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, in order for me to be truly uh, intimate and, and vulnerable to you, I have to be honest. And the honesty says that, spoiler alert, I'm not perfect, there's things about me. There's things that I'm ashamed of. There's things that I've done. Things have been done to me, right? Remember my definition of true love is the thing, is, is a person who knows the worst thing about you and yet loves you. In the beginning of a relationship, we hide the worst things about us as far away as we can. Why? Because we want to earn the person's love. Could you imagine a dating service where it's not about your good traits and all that, it's but the worst picture you have and all the worst things you've done? And if anybody can love you after that, well... You deserve each other, right? Like, that would be an incredible, you know, like, and, and, you know, whatever the profile pic is, somebody has to show up at your house at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, wake up with a bedhead, like, like, and take that picture and put that on your, on your dating profile. That would be interesting. And then they kind of take a picture of your room, like, how messy it is or your bank account or uh, you get the idea, right? The worst thing's about you. Well, God's love transcends the worst thing about you. Right? That's the whole point of God's love is he knows you. He knows the worst thing about you. And yet it even gets more mystical than that because it's not just about the past that you've done, but it's also the future that you will do as well too. Remember, God's not confined to time and space. When he says he loves you, he loves you both ways because he knows the past of what you've done, but he also knows your future as if it's his past. And that's more quantum mechanics, and we're not going to get into that this morning, but you understand what I'm saying, right? That God loves you. When he says he loves you, he really does love you in your completeness, in the complete mess of you. He loves you. And it's not because of the law, because you can never fulfill the law, but it's based upon a promise he made to Abraham that I will redeem all people. Now watch this, because Paul's going to go a little further here, okay? So when we talk about the progression of the law, um, the question I have, I, I get asked the most as a pastor is, what rules are we supposed to obey? Can I get a tattoo? Am I allowed to eat bacon? Can Christians have a beer? Uh, what laws am I supposed to uh, listen to? Because the Old Testament has lots of laws. And we've talked about this at Uptown Community Church, but let me explain something to you. The greatest tragedy of the church today is not so much about not teaching what the Bible says. That's a whole different conversation. But not giving the context for the Old Testament for us today. How do we understand what this book says and apply to our lives? Because if we're like the Galatians, we all want to be like the Galatians. We want to say, we just want to live out to whatever God wants for us. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not how the Bible, that's not how God reveals himself to us. So what's the progression of the law? Now, I could take you to the Old Testament to show it to you, but look what Paul says here, okay? This is really important. Why then was the law given at all? Isn't this a great question? Why the law at all? If we don't have to listen to it, why do we even have it? Right? Why the law? Why don't Adam and Eve just walk out of the garden? There's Jesus on the cross. Right? Why the amounts of pain and suffering that humanity's gone through for thousands upon thousands of years? 
Every murder, every injustice, every rape, every uh, uh, rich person taking advantage of a poor person. Why all of this? It seems a little unnecessary. So Paul says, ask the question that the Galatians are thinking. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was referred, the promise referred to, uh, had come. Now, stop for a second. As if you're going anywhere. Why then was the law given at all? The word transgressions, it's a great word, but we don't really use it. Transgressions is the act of breaking the law. But there's actually another word in there I should have highlighted and I forgot to. See the word seed there? It's not a mistake that it's a capital. Because it's not a thing, it's a person. What's Paul doing? In Genesis chapter 3, at the fall, we are told a prophecy. The prophecy is this, that the seed will crush the serpent's head. So the word seed here is in capital because it's not a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus. And Paul is tying the narrative of the Old Testament for the Galatian church so that nobody gets to come to them and saying, you've missed out on what God wants for you. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would, have certainly, uh, would certainly have come by the law. What's he saying there? Does the law make you a better person? No. It actually makes you a miserable person. Why? Because you know what you've done wrong. Remember the analogy I told you last week about the police officer? And they're like, I wasn't here last week. What happened? Um, remember I said to you that, you know, as you drive along, if a, if a police car pulls up from behind you, and as long as there's no lights going, you know, if you've got your seatbelt on and you're, you know, you, you're not texting or doing, you're not speeding, but when the cop car pulls up behind you, the police officer pulls up behind you, you feel very vulnerable. You're like, okay, I'm okay, I'm looking here, okay. And you keep looking in your rearview mirror. Why? Because you know the police is behind you. The law is behind you. Well, Paul says to us, that's not real life-giving relationship, is it? And the answer is, of course not. Because all you worry about is breaking the law. You're not even worried about a relationship with the, within civil society. You're not even worried about all these things. What you're worried about is breaking the law. Why? Because you're only about to get punished by a ticket. And Paul says, if a law could be given that could give you life, then you wouldn't need Jesus. But the problem is the law doesn't do that. What the law does instead is it tells you where you failed. And if we can actually be honest about that, we already know that. We feel it on a daily basis, don't you? And maybe you're all so righteous. Maybe it's just me that feels it on a daily basis. I don't know, right? But I, I, I'm so aware of, 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 of the mistakes that I make before God. And it's not that I sit there going, oh, woe is me. I'm going to the garden to eat worms. But it's just the awareness like, wow. I've been a Christian for X amount of years. I've studied the Bible for this long and I still can't get it right. Ugh. Right? What does Paul say to Romans 7? Woe is me. Right? right? Woe is me. Why? I, 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 am so, I, am, I am so pitiful because of this. Now watch the progression of the law here. And not through the Old Testament, but through the eyes of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. What's Jesus saying there? And again, we saw that in the video. People fall, you give the law. People fall some more, you give some more law, right? And, and really what you're trying to do is you're trying to take into account all the ways humanity and human beings can hurt each other. And that's like a phone book, really. The reason we have so many laws is because we are so creative in how to break them. Right? You'd think the 10 would be enough. Don't steal. Okay, and when I mean don't steal, I mean don't even, and okay, and here's subsection 8, and here's paragraph 3, and... We just get creative with how to break laws. Because as soon as you have a rule, 
All you, know, all you want to know is how to break it. And if you think that's not true, you should go walk into a grade three classroom. Right? You just need to walk into a classroom with children. Because if you tell them a rule, they will find ways of doing that, right? So, for example, when I was a camp counselor many years ago when dinosaurs ruled the earth, um, I remember that there was this one um, lovable child in my cabin who was quite full of energy. And so, and it would just run around and we're like around by a forest and a lake. And so obviously there has to be some safety. And so I said to this person, listen, if you go off on your own without telling me where to go, you're on the couch of punishment. And the couch of punishment was, we had this old moldy couch in the middle of the field that they had to sit on. And you couldn't, you know, like that was your, that was your punishment. And so of course he does what he always does. He wanders off and I found him, okay, couch of punishment. You got to be here for 15 minutes, right? Sit here and I'll be back 15 minutes. Well, of course, I'm going to check in because there's no way he's going to do it, right? And so I check back in, and, he, and, and he's like this. You know, like, you know, like, he's like this. And he's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm touching the couch. So I'm technically on the couch. And I'm like, oh. And then I sat down talking about the Abrahamic law with him, and he understood it much better. No, the point is, <laughs> the point is, it doesn't matter what law God gives to us, we find ways to break it. God says love one another, and all we do is we don't love one another. God says love our enemies, and all we want to do is beat our enemies up. You know, we're living in a culture that's very tribal right now, and I use that word tribal very intentionally, right? In ancient times, and not so ancient times, tribes be, you know, we're this tribe, we're that tribe, let's fight, right? We just went through an election, and my Facebook feed was full of people, happy, angry, sad, I don't know, right? We're very tribal, I'm this, I believe this, no, I'm this, I'm this color, no, I believe that, I'm this color. And anybody who doesn't believe this thing or believe this color, well, they're dumb. And we should put them in a different country or put them on an island or we should do something because I can't believe this person voted for that individual. I can't believe this. We're we're very tribal. right? And and the thing is, it's so interesting, is that the whole idea of civility is, is, is really kind of, we're at a very low point right now. Right? We're at a very low point. And, and the point of it is this. If, can I give you a law to make you a good person? No. I can just give you a law to show you what you've done wrong. Now, look what goes on here in Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what the sin was had it not been for the law. What's important about this? People have said to me, well, we need just to reject the law. God is a God of love. And because he's a God of love, we get to do whatever we want. Okay, so let's talk about that statement now. Let's talk about why that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. No, um, sometimes I do say that. Um, but it's like, okay, well, the law is meant to be this. And if you take it as that, well, you're missing the point. But now look what the writer of Hebrew says. Whoever the writer of Hebrew was, they understood the law and they understood um, Jewish context a lot because the book of Hebrews wrestles with this. But look what it says in Hebrews. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. What's the law? It's weak and useless. Why? For the law made nothing perfect. Just because you know the laws doesn't make you a better person. It just makes you want to know how to avoid them, break them, circumvent them. Right? And so the writer of Hebrews says the law was weak and useless. So then what do we do? How do we kind of wrap our minds around this, Right? How do we kind of uh, figure this out? Well, look at Romans 2.15 says, The Gentiles show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness. Now, why is this important? 
What's Paul saying in the book of Romans? Gentiles who've never encountered a Jewish person, who've never encountered the law, there's something inside of them that tells them what's right and what's wrong. It's written on them. Why? Because it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what race you are. You're still made in the image of God. And that image bearer has this piece of us that says, this is what is right and what is wrong. This is why when we encounter, and not so much now, but in the last 50 years or 150 years, when we encounter groups of people who are untouched by quote-unquote civilization, these groups of people have a very intricate understanding of the law and of religion, which is kind of interesting to me because no missionary has, been, has gotten to them. No Western person has got to them and said they've grown up in isolation. They developed an isolation, and in that development, they've developed a law and they've developed a religion. I had this one conversation with this, uh, this professor of anthropology, and I said, have we ever described, have we ever discovered a tribe of atheists? I, I'm actually kind of interested in that. Like, could we not discover a group of people who don't believe in any kind of a God, any kind of religion? And he kind of chuckled. He didn't really want to answer the question. I said, could you just give me an example then? And he was like, well. There's something in us that knows there's more to this life. And again, I'm not saying that like, we've discovered a group of Christians who love Jesus who have not been touched. I'm just saying we've discovered people who've, who have an idea of wrong, right and wrong, of, of, of a deity of some sorts, and, and that there's a lack in our lives. And, right? So Paul's saying that that's what the Gentiles are. Whether we're Jewish or not, we know what's right and wrong. We choose to do what we want to do, but that's up to us. And again, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in his likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now look at the last part there. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, watch this. What does it say about God that he's more interested in a relationship that transforms rather than the law that condemns? What does it say about humanity that we need the law to keep ourselves in check? We talk about the law, we talk about the rules so much so that we forget about this fact that God wants to have a relationship that transforms. We've talked about this in the Kingdom of Heaven series, right? God wants to transform us. Now, you guys know that I'm a very visual person, so I have to diagram this. And this is my diagram, right? This is you. And this is just a generic version of you. You get the idea, okay? It's not meant to be male or female or anything like that or even white or non-white. It's just a generic understanding, right? Well, Paul tells us something very interesting. He says, the law is like this hard outer shell, right? It says hard outer shell. The law is the external protection against our corrupted selves. The problem is, and this is the problem that Jesus brings up, this hard outer shell can hide something that's really dark. You know, I had an aha moment in my office this week. I don't get those very often, but when I do, I'm kind of excited about them. When I use the word lost to you, who do you think of? I know how uh, I actually ask this question of some people. I'm like, who do you think of? And one person said, well, I think of drug dealers. Okay. Or I think of this person who's, who murdered that person. Okay. Or I'm, I think of this person who has hurt that woman. Okay, I get that. When we think of the lost, we tend to think of the people that we most, I don't want to use the word hate, but I'm going to use the word hate. We tend to say the people who are lost, the people that we hate the most, right? But 
the Holy Spirit talked to me this week in, in, about something. He said that there are people who are in this world who are nice, who live in the suburbs, have a nice house, have a nice job. They are not lawbreakers. There wouldn't be the loss as you would classify them. But these people need Jesus just as much as a drug dealer. Because what is Jesus saying? It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how, how affluent you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this country or another country. These things don't matter. It can still hide the heart of wickedness. And this is why Jesus came. Because he says, you guys use the law to cover up what's inside. Right? You use it to cover up inside. You know the illustration I've used before, but for those of you who are new to us. When I was a youth pastor, I used to have this illustration I used to do. And I would uh, ask a, a youth volunteer to, uh, to, to do something for me. And of course, whenever you ask a youth to do something, you're like, ah, I want to do it because I want the attention. And so I would ask the youth to come up. And what I would do is I would give the youth a cup. And the cup was open and it was full of water. And the youth, I would say to the youth, well, I get thirsty when I speak. And I just want, I just need a cup holder. You become that cup holder. So just your job is to stand here and hold the cup. And when I'm thirsty, I'll grab it and I'll drink it. And of course, they're youth. They're like, ah, I love, okay, great, right? And so they're sitting up there with a the cup. They're like, hey, they're friends, right? They're, they're youth, right? And so they're holding the cup. And so about 30 seconds after holding the cup, I'll do this. I'll pump them. And of course, what always happens, because I fill the cup right to the top, I make sure it happens, um, is, is the person either drops the cup or water spills out. And of course, I turn to the person saying, why did you spill my, job, my, my water? You had one job. Just one job. And of course, youth being youth, they look at me like an adult who completely doesn't get it. I'm like, because you bumped me. And I said, wrong. You spilled the water because the water was in the cup. Had I given you an empty cup, it didn't matter how many times I bumped you. It didn't matter if I took a wiffle ball bat and beat you. Nothing's going to come out. <laughs> by the way, a wiffle ball bat is a sponge wrapped bat, just so you know. So that's what I mean by a wiffle ball bat, okay, just to be clear. Right? The point is this. It's what's in the cup that emerges when you're bumped. Now, why is that important? It's because what is in our hearts will come out when life bumps us. And life always bumps us. Whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's health, whether it's education, and again, so on and so forth. Life bumps us. And so what Jesus is saying is, your dark heart can have all these things. And I'll only see them when they get bumped. A nice person with a nice house living in the suburbs, they don't get bumped. But there's still darkness there just like whoever the loss would be for you. And so what Jesus says is we need to get rid of this and we need to have a transformation of understanding. Is we need now to have the Holy Spirit living in us, right? And the law now becomes transformed. The Holy Spirit is the inward transformation that is revealed ex externally by our changed heart and mind. And the law doesn't become this solid line of like, this is right and wrong, but it's now the Holy Spirit in us who is going beyond the requirements of the law to live like Jesus, and that's what the Spirit does. And that's why Paul starts off Galatians chapter 3 saying, you started by the flesh. Sorry, you started by the Spirit. Why try to end with the flesh? And you know why I find that so amazing? It's because all we can think about when we talk about God is how we sin. But God's talking to us about how are you transformed? Allow the Holy Spirit to rise up within you to be transformed. Stop talking about right and wrong in the law. These are things that are important. But if you have the Holy Spirit operating inside of you, 
You go beyond the requirements of law. You are so far beyond the law, you are now entering the territory of Christ's likeness. I came to fill the law, Jesus says. And by saying that, he says, if you follow me, you're beyond the requirements of law. You're not, just, you're not just not killing your enemy, but you are now loving your enemy. You're not just talking about generosity towards, like, here's a little bit there, but you're talking about generosity of my entire life. And that's the point of what Paul's trying to talk about here. Let me wrap this up here. Remember Acts chapter 15? The Council of Jerusalem. What do we do with the Gentiles? They gave him four requirements, right? James, the younger brother of Jesus, stands up. Listen, here's the four requirements that the Gentiles should uh, live under. The four requirements is what we would call the Tanakh, the middle way. Right, Teresa? Right. Um, the Tanakh. Now, why this is important is, is this. The four requirements are what was required to leave pagan religions to move to Jesus. Remember, in the Roman Empire, first century, you have, you have all these different religions from across the Roman Empire. Some of them involve practices that would make us cringe. And so what James is saying, when you embrace Jesus, when you decide to follow Jesus, leave these practices and move towards Christ-likeness. And the Holy Spirit will be the engine for that. And Acts chapter 15 is taking place when Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Because he's saying, listen, it's not about if you're circumcised or not. It's not about how well you keep the law. It's how do you love Jesus? How are you transformed by the Holy Spirit in your life? And the reason he says that now is because he's going to close the letter, uh, not the letter, sorry, this chapter with telling us a couple of things. In the book of Exodus, when the law was given, do you remember that story, right? Moses goes up to the mountain, has a great conversation with, G, with God, and is terrified. Down below, the Israelites go, well, he's been gone for about a half hour. What do you guys want to do? I know. Let's make a golden calf. This is a great idea, right? And so they, they do this, right? And Moses is up there on the mountain, mountain shaking, and there's lightning and all that stuff. And the people are down below, yes, we have a God now. It's a big cow. I don't know why you want to worship a cow. I really don't. Even for my people today, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it, right? I, I, anyways, um, they have a golden calf. So Moses comes down the mountain, and he sees this. And what does he say? What are you guys doing? And what do they say? Well, we just threw this metal in the fire, and this is what came out by itself. I don't know, right? And the law was given that day. And on that day, people had to pay. And on that day, 3,000 people died because the law was given, because they were now finally shown what was right and wrong. What happens when the Spirit's given? In Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and does the day of Pentecost sermon, and he does what Jesus could never do. He transforms 3,000 people. Jesus could only keep 11 in line. This is not saying, oh, Jesus is so minimum. I'm just saying this is what Jesus promised. And on the day that the Spirit's given, 3,000 people commit themselves to Jesus. What does the law do? It brings death by reminding us how right and wrong is. What does the Spirit do? It transforms. It goes beyond right and wrong to a Christ-likeness. Paul then says this, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. In other words, Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament. The law was there to protect us and protect others from us. Right? Is that the word there, protective custody? 
You ever see those kind of movies where they have a prisoner and it's shackled, right? And they're, like, they're kind of walking along and there's two guards. That's what the law does. Because if you take the shackles off the guard's way, this prisoner is going to go out and kill everybody. At least that's what the movies tell us, right? Well, Paul says this shackle, this protective custody was for you, right? So you wouldn't hurt yourself, but you wouldn't hurt others, right? So however we understand the law, the law never meant to replace God, but create a standard that all of humanity can be kept safe under. But now watch this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All, um, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism put on Christ like putting on new clothes. He's, he's, he's bringing this now to conclusion. His thought, his, his whole argument to conclusion. And this is it right here. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now that you belong to Christ, you're true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham. The video that I used for the beginning of, uh, you know, the kind of bumper video, right? Not a male, not a female, not a Jew, not a Gentile. The reason I did that is because this is the heart of Galatians right here. What do you, what do you call yourself? A student? Husband? Wife? Uh, what do you call yourself? Do you call yourself uh, single? Do you call yourself, uh, it's complicated? What, like, what do you call yourself, right? Paul says to the church in Galatians, take all these categories you put people under, and in Jesus, just remove them. Remove the past, remove the pain, remove the hurt. Because in Christ, you're a new creation. In Jesus, you are something more. You are now a child of God. You know, the book of Revelation is kind of a weird book. I say that a lot, and one day I will teach on it. Uh, when I feel brave enough, which may never happen. But there's a little glimpse in Romans chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 7 that I really like. It's, this, it's a scene where John is given this view of heaven. And in heaven, before God, are people from every right, every race, every tribe, every nation, every language. And they're standing before God, and that's what they're saying. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Forget race. Forget language. Forget all this stuff that we want to classify people. Forget political leanings. Forget socioeconomic status. Forget geographic. Before God, everybody will stand and declare salvation is from our God. That God will one day remove all the categories that we use to separate ourselves, to beat each other up with. And he'll say, in Jesus, we are one. In Jesus, we are one. That's the Galatians protocol. We stop looking at each other with labels. Stop looking at each other with, you're this, I'm that. And we say, I don't see this category. I just see Jesus in you. That's how the church is meant to operate. That is what we are meant to be today. Uptown Community Church, we are open to whoever wants to come, whatever they are. And we are, our prayer and our hope is that they would encounter Jesus, but be full of the Holy Spirit and be transformed by the Spirit. And that transformation can be messy. It can be funny. It can be hurtful because there's things that can come to light. Whatever it is, we want to be a community that allows the Galatians protocol, this mandate given to the church in Galatia, to be our mandate today. Let's pray.
Jesus, I thank you that you came. You walked amongst us. You taught us. You showed us the law. But not the law as we understood it, but you showed us you. And you said that if you follow me, you would fulfill the law. And with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we would go beyond the requirements of the law. God, my prayer this morning for each person here is that we wouldn't look at the ways we fall or fail. That we wouldn't look to our brokenness, but instead we would look to Jesus. And God, that nobody here would walk away this morning without embracing any kind of forgiveness they need or repentance, whatever it would be, but instead we would be sons and daughters of Abraham. That that promise spoken to this man, this woman, was for all of humanity. And we stand before God, not in our own righteousness, not because of all the rules that we've kept, but because of Jesus and the sacrifice he had upon the cross. That is the gospel. And I pray that the gospel would penetrate the very darkest places of our hearts. And we would, we would just surrender wholly and completely to you. Spirit of the Most High God, I pray that you would speak to us Change us, transform us, not just right now, but throughout the week and the rest of our lives. Let it be said of us that we are transforming into Christ-likeness, moving past the requirements of law, something beautiful, something profound, something this dying world desperately needs to know. Thank you so much for loving us in spite of us. In Jesus' name, amen.